Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of the Stargate Archives. Once again, I'm going to be taking a look at an episode of Legend, the Richard Dean Anderson and John Delancey series from the mid-90s. This episode is Revenge of the Herd, premiered in the US July the 4th, 1995. Written by Tim Burns, who also wrote on Outlaws, Bale Stryker and Simon and Simon. This was directed by Bob Balaban. He's directed Nurse Jackie, The Twilight Zone, but is better known for being an actor. On The Good Wife, The Politician and Voice King on Isle of Dogs. He is somebody you will recognise, but may not know his name. And he also is a guest star in the episode. So, let's get straight to it, eh? Revenge of the Herd. And the episode starts off with a rather dramatic pan across the bushland. And narration by Ernest. Talking about his time with the Cheyenne. In search of prey on a hunting party. Laying down some wisdom. Of course, this is kind of offset when we zoom in on some scrub brush and we see what looks like two pair of antlers sticking out. And underneath, Ernest and one of his friends from the local tribe. Okay, already this has got a surreal quality about it. Especially when the Native American guide refers to Ernest, aka Nicodemus, as white eyes. And we get a little bit of narration, narrative about the great bull elk. This is his terrain, his range. And we have to kind of kill him. And we get a discussion about, should they kill him? Because this is his land. He was there first. Yep, there is uh, more going on. This isn't reality. This is a flashback. This is maybe something from his book. They've done this before in the previous episodes. Works very well. Let's see how it plays out. I've got to say, though, it could be awkward having so many Native Americans in a what is a comedic action series. But they do seem to be casting people from from the nations which is good of course this is the wild west <laughs> things are always going to be a little bit awkward anyhow they hear a, a scream they run to find an old man covered in blood gasping his last breath talking about being attacked by the great bull elk and it's up to white eyes to do battle and i think this is where we're going to get the reveal okay then <laughs> the color fades out we return to what we normally expect the normal western look Ernest stands up. No, no, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work at all. It seems like they're kind of play-acting a narrative, a plot point from one of his latest books. And the idea of a great uh, bull elk ravaging the land, killing settlers and natives with impunity, just doesn't work for him. One of the local tribesmen, he offers up that, uh, yeah, you know, they could, you know. But nah, nah. As usual, Ernest is having trouble with his book. This is where we are. What type of creature preys on human beings like this? Wapiti. Wapiti. Here is the name we give to the great bull elk. Nice to see him doing research, though. He just doesn't make things up. He actually tries to figure out if, if an elk could be this great uh, avenger of the plains. The next scene opens up with Ernest in the saloon, working on his book, drinking his tea, has a word with the, uh, the barman, who recommends, how about wolves? You know, wolves are... Uh, Epic lone hunters as well, one-on-one, man versus wolf. That could work. Ernest doesn't seem too impressed either. 
He looks up at the bar, notices that one of the hunting trophies is missing, and, he, and he's told Sylvester is out for his annual cleaning. Okay, that I seem is going to have to play into it. Chekhov's gun and all that. And that's when Harry Parver walks into the saloon, played by Bob Balaban. Yep, the director himself. This is when the story can get going. Mr. Parver, of course, is with Ernest's publisher. It's never a good thing when he turns up, there's always something being planned. He's not impressed with Ernest drinking his tea. Also not impressed that the bartender knows about the fact that Nicodemus hates a drop when he's supposed to be a teetotaler. They get into a conversation about how litigious the publisher is. So, yeah, America. <laughs> Solve things with lawyers or guns. Anyway, I'm sure Parva's here to drop the bombshell. Because the publisher's got an idea. And Ernest very rarely comes ahead when the publisher forces things on him. It seems the publisher himself had the idea about uh, a killer elk, which kind of left Ernest in the pickle. Of course, it's not working out very well, but there's another plan, another idea, another publishing, marketing idea. The German publisher of the Nicodemus novels is on his way to the States for a hunting trip, and Nicodemus has been volunteered to lead that trip. In fact, <laughs> the German publisher Ludwig Hauptmann and his son believe that Nicodemus is a real person. So this isn't going to go down well, is it? <laughs> Imagine all the things that can go wrong. And that's when the saloon doors swing open and in walks. Ludwig. And he seems delighted to be here. Speaks to his son in the native tongue. I promised you an adventure and there, there he is, the man himself, Nicodemus legend. And his son pipes up in English. He's a lot shorter than I thought he'd be. Which, which of course allows Richard Dean Anderson to do his, his famous double take. Cue the music. And we're back. Ludwig is played by Rainier Schon. It looks like the last couple of decades he's worked pretty much exclusively in his native Germany. Go back to the late 90s, he worked on Matlock, Babylon 5, MacGyver, uh, The Big Easy, Mortal Kombat... He has spent quite a bit of time in the US. Oh, TNG as well, The Next Generation. His son, Rolf, is played by Christian Aaron. This is his only acting credit, so either <laughs> he didn't like it or he went on to bigger and better things. You often see that with the younger actors, they either stick around for quite a while or they dip in, maybe go to college, university and go into a different trade. Ludwig has bought some hunting dogs with him, German Shepherds naturally. <laughs> Parva, he's, uh, he's keen to get out of there and Ernest isn't very happy about it but as he points out, one of his clients is in prison liable to get hanged so going to get some things autographed because if he does get executed they'll be worth a small fortune exit stage left, just before he looks up and says where's Sylvester? so that's a second reference to this uh, hunting trophy oh yeah, this is going to play a part and just to underscore that we cut to The Undertakers where Sylvester which is a, a huge head and shoulders of a bison, is being groomed. Very, very heavy. Thankfully, they do this only once a year. But again, yeah, this is going to be important. Cut back to the saloon, and there's uh, Ludwig and Ernest uh, sharing a stein of beer. Keen to find out where they'll be hunting. Ernest takes the advice of the saloon keeper, grouse and pheasant shooting in the lowlands, low hills. And of course, this causes Ludwig to burst out laughing because, uh, well, they're not here to shoot wildfowl and birds. Points out that his son is carrying one hell of a big gun. 
So obviously Nicodemus wouldn't know what they're hunting, what they're after. Cue a very subtle joke. With your knowledge of guns, there's no need to explain what we're after, I'm sure. <laughs> Looks like you're after Poland. Poland. I admit, I laughed out laughing when I heard that because I wonder how many people how, how many people had that joke go right over their heads. But yeah, yeah, that was funny. That certainly looks what you'd consider to be some sort of elephant gun, something that the, the colonial hunters would take into deepest, darkest Africa. Obviously, they're after something big. Got to be buffalo, bison, since there's no elephants in the Wild West. Let's see what he reveals. I'm still laughing now. <laughs> Just as they're talking about what they're going to be hunting, Sylvester, the buffalo head, is silhouetted in the window. And Ralph grabs his gun, <laughs> pulls a trick and blows the window and the frame right out. Oh, I've got it. <laughs> and everybody runs out and sees, sees Sylvester lying in the dirt, his head ripped apart. The dogs are there sniffing around him. Everybody's distraught. Sylvester is fatally wounded. Can you fix him? Well, we haven't got many eyes for that. And Ernest is kneeling down at the head and, and the dogs are up there lapping at his face. It makes me wonder that, uh, I wonder if these dogs actually belong to some of the Castor crew or if they are trained dogs. Either way, you don't really expect uh, hunting dogs to be doing that. <laughs> I knew Sylvester would play a part, but somehow I imagined it would be at the end of the episode. Maybe to make sure that Ludwig went home happy, but no, no, they uh, they threw it in quite early. Uh, he's offering to pay for the damages, of course, but let's see uh, Let's see what happens. We're at Professor Bartok's. Ernest is once again complaining about how life treats him unfairly. And the Professor and Ramos are working on a remote control contraption. This looks a lot like his fake cow, but bigger. I wonder. I wonder where this... Mind you, I, I could be totally wrong. I've already uh, guessed wrong once already. Either way, the Professor is very impressed by his remote control. He says, one day uh, you'll be able to run your entire household remotely without lifting a finger. Ernest points out that, would this be a bad thing? What would happen to everybody's health and well-being? And uh, <laughs> the professor comes out with the signs of body conditioning, exercise, working out for the sake of it. Ernest, nah, never happen. <laughs> the professor agrees to help Ernest after pointing out that Germany and Hungary never traditionally really got on very well. Imagine... Cowboys and farmers with heavy artillery. But Ramos comes up with an idea, use a seismograph to detect the movement of buffalo. And so they jump into their steam-powered automobiles and drive into Sheridan. So Ludwig isn't very happy about the fact that they're not riding horses, but as he points out, you want Nicodemus Legend, you get all of Nicodemus Legend, which includes all the bells and whistles and the help of Bartok and oh, Ludwig. Ludwig says something that hopefully no modern show would ever consider putting into uh, the narrative. Unless, of course, it's having a serious look at race relations, nationalism and all sorts of political nastiness. Anyhow, the five of them are off on the hunt for buffalo. On the north winds. South winds, as Bartok whispers. <laughs> in disgust that earnest for never listening and never learning. They drive out of town, we get some nice bit of cinematography, a long shot of... Uh, the two vehicles, the horses, the chuck wagon riding across the plains. As the camera pulls back, we see some men on horseback. Probably one of the local Native American tribes. And in subtitles, the white man broke his promise to hunt on our lands. 
Now, I can't believe they're talking about Ernest because he has a reasonably good relationship with the locals. So that must be Ludwig. Ludwig has probably been around here before and, well, he's dropping everybody into it by the looks of it. The hunting party pull up. Nicodemus stands, scours the horizon. Ludwig wants to know, well, where are the buffalo? Ernest, aka Nicodemus. I will interchange those names with total random abandon. Allows him to uh, lay down some of his narrative that he's been writing for his book about listening to the wind. The winds will reveal where the prey is not, and in so doing, where it is. It may take some time, but there are buffalo out there. We'll find them. There are lots and lots of buffalo out there. Somewhere. We then get an interesting political point, which unfortunately proved true. By hunting the buffalo to near extinction, they cut off the main food source of a lot of the native tribes, forcing them into almost being charity cases, the whim of the local, local and national governments. A state of affairs which has not drastically improved over the centuries. Credit to this sort of show for actually throwing that sort of line in. Often said that science fiction and some other genres are able to talk about things in a different contexts which echo the real world. I think this is the case where the writer wanted to make a point about how the Native American people were treated, how the US government treated other sections of the population, and gets it through censors by setting it in a different context. Bartok, of course, is, isn't blind to the implications of what Ludwig is talking about. He isn't very happy, and neither is Ernest, but uh, he's got a job to do. And as he points out, overseas royalties were $10,000, which was a lot of money in those days. It's one of those things. Ernest is a very successful novelist. Uh, not up there with the biggest in terms of uh, book sales or royalties, but he makes a good living. But you wouldn't think it by looking at him. It looks like it's later on in the day. Ludwig and his son are sitting down to a meal at a table with a tablecloth and fine china. Ernest is in the middle of explaining why there's no buffalo about, uh, something to do with the clouds and a freeze on the way. He's really going for it. He's stoking up the uh, flames of imagination. <laughs> Unfortunately, Bartok and Ramos is trying to get his attention because in the background, two or three buffalo wander over the local hill. Ludwig sees him, shouts to his son, grab the guns, we're going to shoot him. Ernest jumps in front of him, halt, halt. Now we've got to set up camp and plan the attack. Ludwig doesn't seem to understand why, but Ernest points out tradition. This is the American way, the Western way. And Ludwig tentatively agrees. Night falls, they've set up camp, and hopefully for a, a nice big hunt in the morning. Which, thanks to Bartok drugging the beer, might be a long ways off. <laughs> Clever man. While Ludwig and his son are still asleep, the lads have a discussion about moving the herd, try to get it to stampede. They don't really have much luck. <laughs> a spectacular failure, in fact. They return to camp, only to see members of the local tribe on horseback. Yeah, this hasn't gone according to plan. Everybody is disarmed, and then we see the leader of this band, Tawashi. I am Tawashi, and these are my warriors. We have watched you come into our lands with your guns. Why do you chase our buffalo? Tawasi, we want nothing to do with hunting your buffalo. We were trying to chase them away to safety and long lives. 
played by Rodney A. Grant, who you may remember from the Stargate SG-1 episode, Spirits, where he played Tanani. Once again, in the 90s, credit for hiring a Native American First Nations actor. It's not something a lot of shows would have done at that time, or even 10, 20 years afterwards. Tawashi isn't pleased that white men are on their land hunting the buffalo. As Ernest points out, we're trying to uh, chase them away. We don't want to kill them. Tawashi says uh, the buffalo know that uh, we would kill anybody that puts their lives at risk. One of his men shouts up, kill them, kill them now. And Tawashi points out that White Eyes is Nicodemus legend. So there's no animosity there. Ernest is surprised, he's uh, recognised, but then Tawashi switches to English and points out that he likes a good book just like anybody else. Takes him by the shoulder and the two men walk off. And Tawashi <laughs> says, well, he may not necessarily be a fan of the books. Because why do you always write stories about the Cheyenne and not the Rapaho? His tribe has many stories that could be used to fill the books. Has pride in his people, in his legends and his stories. If he's got any sense, he'll also look for some royalties. <laughs> it's not the first time, after all. Ernest then uh, reveals that his latest book is about the great elk. Tawashi <laughs> flabbergasted. Elk are slow and they're not dangerous at all. But nevertheless, Ernest, lots of Arapaho warriors in it. A great story. Tawashi finally agrees that, well, okay, you three can go. We'll just kill the other, the other three white men. Ernest, nah, okay. A brief moment of rejoicing and celebration. But no, he can't really let Ludwig, his valet and his son die. This is when we get the interesting part. You can't just kill those people. It is the will of Thunderhooves. The great buffalo spirit. She has seen too many white men come and slaughter the herd, take the hides and the horns, and leave the rest to rot in the sun. I agree. The white man has not behaved with great compassion. But if you know Nicodemus legend, you know that he can always find a better solution than violence. You know that. Thunderhooves is not happy. The great buffalo spirit. That white men are destroying her people. That, I think, is going to be the key to the new novel. And as Ernest Nicodemus points out, he knows violence isn't always the first option. He wants Tawashi to give him a chance to solve this problem without resorting to killing. Often, what's it, white man speak with Fort Tong, a very Hollywood trope, but I suppose there is some legitimacy there. So-called civilised people laying on thick to natives across the world, promising them things they were never going to deliver, then going home, glorifying themselves in their cleverness as thousands of people, as millions of people die or end up in subjugation. Hopefully the story isn't going to end up like that. I don't think it will do, but uh, let's see what Nicodemus is planning and if Tawashi and uh, the Buffalo Spirit will be happy with it. Ernest returns to the Professor and uh, along with uh, Ramos, they come up with a plan. Forget the elk. Thunderhoos is going to be the star of the next novel. A great Buffalo Spirit that protects these lands so much so that... No hunter would want to actually come onto them and hunt buffalo, thereby uh, protecting everybody, the native population, and any hunters stupid enough to risk their lives for a, a bit of meat. We cut back to Ludwig and his son who have woken up, surrounded by guns pointing at them, and they're panicking, as uh, bullies and arrogant sods are liable to do. It's funny how attitudes change when they ain't got the guns. Ernest jumps right in. Well, you wanted the whole package. You wanted a traditional Western hunt. And what would that be without actually interacting with some of the natives? Why have they got guns? 
it's all part of it. Here, have an axe. A trade for the Prussian weapon. Uh, Ludwig isn't quite convinced, and uh, Tawashi, I don't think he's totally convinced either. But Ernest can, well, can be very, very convincing when he wants to be. Ah, nicely done. Tawashi isn't very happy about the idea. As Ernest points out, though, uh, he takes ideas from the Cheyenne all the time, and they pay for the rights to him. Which is only fair. You were going to appropriate some native culture. There should be a trade. Uh, he offers uh, $150 to Washi. How about some guns? A few knowing looks. Okay, maybe that's where the writers might have left that out a bit. But no, he accepts $150 for the rights to use the Thunderhooves, the Buffalo Spirit, in the next novel. Going well so far. Looks like Ernest may talk him and his friends out of this, being the victims of this hunting party. The Professor and Ramos drive off back to the lab. See the vehicle being constructed. Huge, huge artificial cow, which it's probably based on. Uh, we've seen that in a previous episode. And of course, Sylvester. The buffalo head is being used as thunder hooves. Return to the camp. It's night time. Everybody's sitting around a fire, telling tales. Tawashi offers to tell of the legend of buffalo hooves, the, the great spirit that guards the buffalo herds from the white hunters. Ludwig, of course, is a little condescending, but what can you expect? But the story gets told. And in the middle of the tale, the mist rolls in. Strange noises heard. And out of the mist comes a huge beast. Red, bright eyes. Fire flaming from its nostrils. Ralph... I'm afraid, Papa, I'm afraid. And he breaks and runs for it, followed by Ludwig and many of the Arapaho <laughs> as well. Well, that seems to have worked. Half the people have run away. Tawashi and Ernest seem happy about it. But there's still ten minutes of the episode left, so... <laughs> Something else has got to go wrong. There's a sight for every Hungarian's heart. German backsides in retreat. Right, we return to Sheridan the next day, and let's see about the consequences of Thunderhooves making an appearance. Three weeks later pops up on the screen, and a stagecoach rolls into town, followed by some men on horseback. Lots of guns are firing, the mayor runs out into the street, stop shooting, no guns, and, oh, Ludwig is back. He may have been frightened on that night, but he's probably not the man to go running back to his homeland with his tail between his legs. So if there's a buffalo spirit, he's hired himself an army and he's come back to kill it. Oh dear. Yep, Ernest isn't very happy either. <laughs> yeah, this isn't. This is going to be interesting. It seems Ludwig has been telling the story of buffalo hooves as he's travelled across the state. So much so that, yep, so he's back. He's back to avenge himself, to regain his masculinity. Of course, he's uh, also brought a number of buffalo hunters with him who, well... They just go around killing buffalo for the for the bounty. I assume there's a, a bounty placed on them by the US government. That is their policy to contain the spread of the native peoples by culling their main food source. Mayor is delighted because he thinks suddenly this is good for Sheridan, the uh, buffalo hoof marketing. Ernest, of course, is, uh, well, he's going to have to deal with this again. And we all know what that means. A trip to the professor. Uh, they can't shoot what they can't find. They'll simply get bored and they will leave. 
Janos, it's impossible to bore a German. They're pretty much out of ideas, but then Tawashi appears and reveals that six buffalo have been killed already by hunters because they can't find thunder hooves. That's when the professor has an idea of using the remote control and the legend balloon and guiding the hunters into the hills. Don't think it's an ideal plan, but let's see how it works out. And so in the middle of the night, Ernest in his automobile is leading the hunting party. And why are they hunting at night? Well, Thunder Hooves only comes out at night, so you've got a kind of hunter at night. Up in the balloon, Ramos is controlling Thunder Hooves mannequin, animatronic. Ernest pulls up. Ludwig, why are we stopping? Can't you feel it? The ominous silence. And in the distance, Thunder Hooves appears. And Ludwig grabs his gun. The horses start to book. Some of the hunters are thrown. Panic ensues. One of the hunters grabs his weapon, starts firing. Doesn't make any difference. He breaks. He runs for it. The battle has begun. Push the flamethrower. That leaves only Ludwig. Gets his elephant gun out. Next one shot. Oh, yep. He's hit. Ramos has lost control and Thunderhooves is heading off in a different direction. Oh, no. Panic. Tawashi opens up another line of reasoning that the Great Spirit has taken control of the contraption to guide it along its chosen path. Who's to say he's not wrong? Either way, Thunderhooves approaches Sheridan right down the main high street. People are running around in panic. A little girl all alone. Mummy, mummy. <laughs> oh, great trope. Always is. Always has been. I've got to say, I'm surprised that nobody's noticed that it's on wheels. Anyway, it seems like he's chasing the girl, little girl down the high street, flames roaring from its nostrils, and he's getting awfully close to the saloon, which is, if you remember, still missing a decorative buffalo head. Could this be the spirit of the buffalo wanting to return home? <laughs> Could be. At this point, Bartok and Ernest arrive on, on scene. Is there any way to steer that thing? Yes, there's a manual override. Where is it? In the head. <laughs> It looks like Ernest is going to get to play hero once again. It's a story of his life. He wrote Nicodemus Legend, he became Nicodemus Legend. And still, this young girl is running away from Thunder Hooves. Prometheus School of Running Away, running a straight line, directly in line with the thing that's chasing you. She'd have been safe if she'd done a 90 degree turn, left or right, or just stopped running. It'd have gone right past you, girl. Right past you. Anyhow, Ernest had jumped on the back of Thunder Hooves and he's reaching for the override. Can he even get there on time, or will this little girl be trampled or burnt to death by thunderhooves for the crimes of the white man? And at the last second, the beast is diverted, and he goes trundling off into the night with, with Ernest still on its back. And Ludwig approaches. Oh, he'll never get a buffalo hide now. But Bartok chimes up. Think of the sails when he writes the book. And Ludwig looks at him, spoken like a European. And they shake hands, so something good has come of this. Meanwhile, I hope Ernest is safe, because <laughs> Thunderhooves is still out of control and often going in a more or less straight line into the desert. Hopefully Tawashi is out there, he'll be able to save him. Dawn breaks over the professor's lab. Everybody's in there, congratulating themselves. The hunters have vanished, they've returned home, Ludwig is gone. The myth of Thunderhooves is well established. The local buffalo herd should be safe. Tawashi is pleased, although still waiting for the check for its $150. 
<laughs> also, he has many, many other spirit animals that could be used for entertaining stories. You have served us well this night, Thunderhoofs. And you, Hoiray, will always be a friend to the Arapaho. Not just a friend, a brother. I wouldn't go that far. And as the men leave the lab, we get a close-up of Thunderhooves, whose high glows red and steam comes from its nostrils. Just in case you were wondering if the spirit was real. And that was Revenge of the Herd. <laughs> I enjoyed that episode. That was a lot of fun. Rodney A. Grant, of course, uh, from I know from Stargate SG-1. Great to see him in something else. Some interesting political ramifications, cultural ramifications raised by this episode. Granted, they didn't go into them in any great deal, but the fact that they were mentioned is important and remains important to this day. Our next episode, pretty sure it's going to be another legend. Uh, I've only got a few more episodes left before the end of the one and only season. I suppose I'll have to get back to watching some Stargate, get some more guests on the show and trying to get the podcast back into high gear. I think sometimes it would have been nice to have a few weeks off with pay during this pandemic, but unfortunately I had to continue working. The money was good, of course, naturally. But think of all the things I could have done being at home for a few weeks this part of the year. Okay then, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to be on the podcast, please get in touch. Stargatearchives.com, stargatearchives at gmail.com. We are, of course, on Facebook and on Tumblr. Find us on Twitter, where we do most of our social media interaction, at the Gatecast, which is just the one word. You can find us on uh, iTunes, Stitcher and uh, Google Play Music. Any reviews and ratings would be most welcome. But until then, I've been Mike. Take care, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>